PhotoShelter is the online leader for photography websites. Archive, distribute, and sell your photos in a responsive, mobile-friendly website. Try one free for 14 days at PhotoShelter.com. Then download our free educational guides at PhotoShelter.com slash resources. This is Alan Murabayashi with PhotoShelter. We are talking today with uh, wildlife photographer extraordinaire, Melissa Guru, who is on faculty here, uh, here at the uh, Nature Workshop at Photography at the Summit. Hello, Melissa. Hi, Alan and everybody. It's great to be here. Um, so why don't we start from the beginning? Because you did not study photography in college nor after college. You, to my knowledge, were an education major. I was. I majored in, uh, well, first I majored in English literature. And then I went on to uh, get a master's in education at Stanford. And I worked in the field of education for many years. And then I made a sudden career change and actually moved into the field of animal behavior, working for an elephant scientist at Cornell and living in Africa, collecting data. And it was really there that I began to be very interested in animal behavior and begin to think about uh, framing. I was using a video camera and really began to think about how do you capture something visually. Um, and then a couple years later, I decided to take just a basic course in digital photography at a local community college. And it was just a real introductory course. And at first, I was very focused on macro and fascinated by examining the minuscule details of flowers and insects and, and really entranced by that for a couple of years. And then in about 2010, I began to expand more into landscape. And then one day I sort of discovered bird photography and it was really an aha moment for me. And uh, it was, there's really no other way to explain it, but something in my brain sort of just burst open. And had you had any visual or arts training as a, a kid? Where did this all come from? You know, I, I don't know. I think I've always had an aesthetic sense, and I just never really had a way to express it. I've certainly always had a fascination with wildlife, with all animals, and, and real empathy uh, and love for animals. And so to find uh, this sort of avenue through photography to express that love of animals and that sort of aesthetic sense, it really felt like everything came together for me. And for a couple of years, I really focused just on birds. But now I really, I, I photograph all wildlife. So I call myself a wildlife photographer. I'm curious to understand at what point you started doing photography professionally, even if it wasn't full time. When, when were you paid to take photos for on a consistent basis? It's funny because I really began to diversify pretty early on. It wasn't that I just began to do workshops consistently or that I just began to sell prints consistently. It was sort of all of the above. I think I understood just from all the research I did pretty early on that in order to succeed as a photographer now, you, you just have to diversify. You just have to be able to be competent and ready to uh, explore different avenues from writing to speaking to teaching to selling prints to having a strong social media presence um, and really sort of creating a brand in a way um, and, and being consistent with that brand uh, in every way that you present to the public I think is is really important and um, you know, it's really easy for me because for me, it's all about expressing my passion 
uh, for wildlife and my uh, really increasing concern for conservation and how my photography can, su can support conservation. So when I say my brand, I don't necessarily mean it's something that I've fabricated, but just that I'm, I'm sort of true to myself and to my ideals. And as time goes on, that sort of becomes more crystallized and is more consistent across everything that I do. A lot of people love nature, a lot of people love birds, a lot of people love photography. But you have a deeper understanding of the birds that you're shooting. I mean, you know every bird that you're shooting, and it seems like you know the background behind these different animals that you're shooting. Mm -hmm. What's kind of the difference between the amateur enthusiast Mm -hmm. And the and the full time wildlife photographer because we've you know we know a lot of of, of really great wildlife photographers like Tom Mangelson and then a tremendous depth of knowledge about the subject seems sort of the, the the entry point for being a serious photographer. Yeah, I think there's no question. I think to have a really solid foundation of knowledge about your subject can only improve your photography and. I think once you understand the natural history of an animal that you're photographing, you're going to be able to, for one thing, be able to approach it more readily, um, to be able to be in its space uh, and be accepted more easily. And really, more than anything, it, it helps you predict behavior. If you understand the habits, whether it's the foraging habits or the breeding habits or the places where an animal may like to rest or feed, um, you're going to be able to find that animal more readily and you're going to be able to predict behavior that will really help you get that sort of decisive moment photograph because you know that after you see this behavior, you see this behavior. And so, um, you know, it, it always amazes me when I go out and I'm photographing somewhere and I meet photographers who don't even know what species of bird they're looking at. And that's okay because that's happened to me before, certainly, but they don't really have the curiosity about it. Um, they don't even necessarily want to learn. They just want to take a picture of that animal and move on. And for me, it's all about really going deeply into that species and helping reveal to the viewer some essential fact of that animal's life. A lot of photographers will say, you know, when you upgraded this gear or after you understood the animal behavior, did the number of keepers go up as a result of that? I'm wondering if you even think about it that way or if because of your experience, you just know when to take a picture rather than just kind of firing, a, firing away indiscriminately at 14 frames per second. Sure, I certainly do take fewer pictures than I used to, partly because I've really come to understand the time investment you have to make to just go through your pictures. And it's not really time that I want to invest. I don't want to invest a lot of time into that because it's just really arduous and time-consuming and I want to get it right in the field so I'm a lot more careful about when I'm pressing that shutter I think that's also because I've gotten a lot of really good basic pictures and so now when I'm out there with a species I may have been with before I'm really looking for something different so you know I think when you're really starting out it's okay especially with digital photography you're not spending any money so just press that shutter and you know there's this expression spray and pray you take a lot of shots and you hope something comes out and and with time you really sort of hone that skill so that you really do you do know when when to refrain from pressing that shutter and because it just means you're going to get you know yet another shot of that particular pose or 
or you know that with the head angle just so away from you, it's not going to be engaging, so you don't press the shutter, but the bird's just slightly flying away from you, and you're just like, I know I'm going to throw that away when I look at it, so I'm not going to press the shutter. So all this stuff comes with time and practice, and I've, I've definitely put a lot of time into practice. You were a student here at the Nature Workshop three years ago, and... I, I don't think it's hyperbole to say that you're kind of a big deal now in nature photography. I, I wonder what the journey has been like in, in just 36 months to get to where you are. I do have to say it's been a little dizzying. You know, I think it's there's several factors at play that have sort of brought me here in a rather rapid way that I'm still pinching myself over. But certainly... I think the fact that I've done three assignments for Smithsonian Magazine has really helped. And I did that by pairing up with a writer, and, and it's a writer who had written for the magazine before, and he was a real admirer of my photography. And we decided to sort of approach the magazine as a team and, and give pitches. And so far, they've gone for it three times. Um, but also certainly winning the Audubon, National Audubon Society's annual photography contest last year with my great egret photo uh, certainly brought a lot of attention and now I've also I'm the first wildlife columnist columnist on wildlife photography for Outdoor Photographer magazine which I'm really excited about so I write a column in there every other month and I'm also a contributing editor to Audubon magazine and I advise them on photography content for their magazine and their website and and I also advise a number of organizations and magazines on issues of ethics because ethics in wildlife photography is something I'm really passionate about. Sometimes I don't even totally understand why, but I, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's just something that I've always been really keenly aware of and I felt there was a real void and people weren't sort of discussing um, some, some ways that we can sort of have less impact when we're out there in the field. I think a lot of corners are cut sometimes to try to get that really wow shot, especially with social media always upping the ante. Everybody's looking for that in-your-face, awesome, uh, you know, never-been-seen-before shot that's just, you know, extravagantly stunning. And, and some people, you know, not a lot, but there are some wildlife photographers who do things that um, can, can really endanger the subject in what's one some of the egregious other. behavior that that you really kind of rail against uh one one thing that i'm really passionate about is is um the baiting of predators for photography and when i say predators i mean predatory birds as well as uh, foxes coyotes bears um, people really want to draw in animals you know, it's, it's hard to get close to wild animals, you know. Their natural instinct is to run from us, understandably, especially in places where they're heavily hunted. And, and so one of the easiest ways to get an animal to come closer is to offer it food. And with the baiting of owls, people are actually going to pet stores and buying mice. Mm. And they're sacrificing this live mouse for the sake of a photo. They're approaching an owl. They're flinging the owl, the... Uh, mouse out into the snow in front of the owl and certainly getting dramatic beautiful shots of this owl surging towards the camera with their, their talons outstretched but those I feel like it robs the owl of its wildness 
and to me owls are really the sort of the essence of wildness and and they habituate to humans very readily and they're drawn closer to roads because of these practices where they're often hit by cars and uh, pathogens can be introduced to their diets by the uh, pet store mice and something people often don't talk about is you're sacrificing the life of a, a small sentient mammal for the sake of a photo that's been done a million times before. Right. I just I just think it's um, completely wrong. Do and the concerns about ethics also extend into what's essentially a staged shot at that point? Absolutely. I mean, I there, there's no question. I'm, I'm sort of a purist. I don't I don't really like any sort of staged shots. I'm really uh, adverse to to game farms because I think they're um, ethically and morally corrupt places uh, that just um, imprison animals as sort of photo slaves. And um, and so for me, wildlife photography is all about being out there, being as, as little intrusive as, as we can be, because of course we're going to be a little bit intrusive. The animal always knows we're there. Their senses are much sharper than ours. But how can we be out there in such a way that we're not really disrupting their natural behavior. Uh, we're not influencing them un unduly. And how can we capture that sort of crystalline, beautiful moment of wildness and then share that with people who don't, who might not ever get to see that? And in a time when there's such fragmenting and lessening of wildness in our world, it just makes me really sad when I see people uh, robbing animals of their wildness, teaching foxes to come beg. There's places like Island Beach State Park in New Jersey. I can't look at the pictures of foxes that come out of there because it's famous for photographers feeding foxes. Or Algonquin Park in, in Ontario, same sort of thing. Um, because a fed fox is a dead fox. A fed coyote is a dead coyote. You know, fill in the word. You know, when these animals become used to being fed, they become aggressive and they begin to approach people and people don't understand the behavior and they become labeled as a nuisance animal and eventually they have to be killed. And people think they're just innocently feeding these animals and that's for the sake of a photo and it's not gonna do any harm, but it does. And you have to think about the welfare of your subject. It's much more important than your shot, it just is. There, there's kind of a movement recently, probably in the past five years, in documentary photography and photojournalism where formerly neutral observers of different events have now become activists for the causes that they're photographing. Um, so Humans of New York, for example, would be kind of the extreme example of going into foreign lands and really helping people in, in distress. And I seem to see the same thing kind of in wildlife photography where the photographers have really become conservationists almost at the same level as they are photographers. And I wonder where that comes from for you and how important is that to what you're doing? It's critically important for me. I just, I got to the point where pretty pictures weren't just doing it for me anymore. I just, they're a dime a dozen with, with the uh, advantages of digital photography now. Anyone can take a pretty picture. Um, and... I feel in some way I have to advocate. It's almost like I feel like I owe my subjects for having allowed me into their lives. 
I, I almost feel like I owe them something. Like I have to find a way to raise awareness about them, um, show people sort of what are the, what are the commonalities they might have with us in our lives, you know, show those emotional bonds, show what the threats there are that to their, to their survival or their existence or their particular landscape that they live in. I'm really into education. I, you know, I have that background in education. I have that background now in animal behavior and, and now I'm doing a lot more writing. And so I'm always sort of looking for these platforms, these ways to educate people. And I'm putting words with my photos is really important to me, especially on places like Facebook. You know, it's not just about putting that picture out. It's about what's the text that's accompanying it. And what are a couple things? I don't want to hit people too hard. People's eyes will glaze over and they won't read on. But if I can just help them to understand one or two things that that might be able to help that animal or its landscape, then my my work means something. And um, I just really, really want my work to mean something. And I really, uh, I want to make a contribution to the creatures I care about so much. And I like to think creatively about the different ways that I can do that. And I have a lot of ideas and, and a lot of ambitions. Um, and I'm really interested in, in the International League of Conservation Photographers, and I'm really inspired by that group and the work that they do, and I count many of them among my friends. And Michael Forsberg, a mutual friend of ours and incredible conservation photographer, was a real influence on me from the beginning. Um, and I think finding mentors like that in the industry uh, who, are, who are doing the things that you're passionate about and, and finding a way to ally with them or to, to learn from them and I think that that kind of thing is critical. I have kind of a, a love-hate relationship with photo contests because a lot of them are just revenue generators for the media properties that that produce them. A lot of them have very extreme rights grabs mm -hmm. as a part of the submission process um, but for you winning the Audubon contest was a very positive moment for you what, what is your, your impression of photo contests, particularly as it has to do with wildlife photography and nature photography? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely quite opinionated about photo contests um, because of things from photographers' rights to uh, particularly um, the kinds of pictures that can be submitted and, and how they're articulated. Um, there are contests that allow baiting but not live baiting. There are contests that don't allow any baiting. There are contests that allow captive photos. There are contests that do want to take all your rights. So you have to really read the fine print and I've actually advised a couple of organizations including National Wildlife Federation which is about to run a contest for the first time in a couple of years and they're being very thoughtful about giving photographers the right to have their photo be shared, you know, be used liberally by NWF or not. Um, so people are going to have that choice. Audubon offers that choice as well. Um, you just have to sort of be careful as you're going through the process of submitting your photo that you're checking or not checking the right boxes. Um, and, you know, really, really sort of frequent those contests where you sort of really agree with the ethics like I won't enter contests where um, live you know I would never enter a contest where baiting of predators would be allowed um, 
And I, as I said, I'm adverse to, to uh, game farm photos and things like that. So uh, I think um, truth and captioning is, is really important. I'm really passionate about that. And I'm the chair of NANPA's Ethics Committee, North American Nature Photography Association. And we've just been revising NANPA's uh, truth and captioning um, principles and that's sort of going through a revision but that will be released soon to the public and I'm hoping that'll be sort of a landmark document and um, we're also going to be creating a sort of ethical wildlife photography handbook you know it's not saying to people you have to do this but it's here are some best practices and these best practices are founded on our knowledge of of these animals and are based on on science and and factual information and so it's just sort of guiding principles you know there's a lot of people out there that I'm not going to be able to reach or affect but if I can have a hand in helping to educate sort of new photographers who may not know much about their subjects or how to approach their subjects or how to have um, you know to have a real sort of benign presence um, then then I feel like my work will have meant something the the photo that that you described earlier with the egret that, that won you the Audubon contest. You received comments about it being faked or uh, photoshopped. I mean, it's a brilliantly white bird against what almost looks like when you're looking at it on a, on a phone, like a, a black background. It looks like a studio shot in a lot of ways, but it wasn't. Right. There was no artificial light. I didn't use flash. Uh, there was no Photoshop manipulation on the background. Um, it just, because it was... Uh, very low light situation and a dark distant mangrove background that was it just it really threw that bright electrifying bird into sharp relief against that background and I love that I love having that contrast I love chiaroscuro effects um, and I I love natural lighting um, so you know I think it it made for very dramatic photography and that evening it was it was sort of this grim evening and I wasn't able to get flight photography and I almost gave up and left but I just kept at it and I think that's just such an important lesson for people because often they'll leave a situation they'll say oh the weather's gotten really bad or I'm not going to get anything or oh look the sun's gone down stay after the sun goes down you know you can get really interesting light after the sun goes down um and the cameras are so sensitive now. And they're so sensitive yeah. now. So you can work for like a half an hour, an hour after the sun goes down and and get really cool, diffuse light, you know, really dreamy effects. And um, so I, I just like to use it as an example to people to really um, don't just look for that perfect golden light. Really use your imagination. When it, so when a troll comes out on the Internet and says, fake, I mean, do you just ignore it? Does it detract you know, from the message? At this point, I think I just kind of ignore it. I think the more you rise in photography, and maybe it's true with every field, the more sort of detractors you're going to get. And at this point, I just have to regard a lot of it as just noise in the background and disregard it because, you know, I've got plenty of followers. I've got plenty of fans. I've got wonderful people who support me and, and who know that I'm I'm fully authentic. And so... I don't pay any mind. The, um, you know, the latest iterations of cameras that we've seen come out from all the major manufacturers that see in the dark with ISO 1 million and beyond and the autofocus systems and 
redesigning all of the long glass. It, it's to me, it's just incredible. And I also wonder, what do we actually need? What do you actually need in the next iteration of camera, if anything? I don't feel like I need anything. I mean, I say that just having bought the latest, <laughs> greatest Canon, you know, the one D, one DX Mark II, uh, a real professional level camera that's really, I think, is the best out there for wildlife right now. Um, but you know, it gives me fourteen frames per second. Do I need anything more than that? You know, do I need more megapixels? I don't think so. Um, so. But there is always a new iteration. There is always something more. And you really have to think very carefully and, and pick and choose carefully. Go, do I really need this? Mm, no, I don't think so. And the tools that that we have, the tools that I have, are, are really fantastic. And um, And at some point, it goes way beyond the gear. It's just about you being out in nature, connecting with that animal, and having that knowledge of that animal. And technology can't do that for you um so you could have the greatest you know most uh up-to-date most expensive piece of gear and if you if you don't understand your subject and and you don't have a connection with it and you can't get people to care about that that subject when they're looking at your photos who needs that stuff who needs that gear you know um i wonder what the environment from a business perspective is for you as a nature photographer because again you know coming coming to this workshop for several years and and meeting so many of the students who say my dream is to become a nature photographer but also having talked to people like tom mangelson and and understanding the difficulty that he has even as one of the greatest what is it like for you being kind of a newly minted professional photographer what is the business environment like and what advice would you give to you five years ago? Hmm. You know, I don't, I hope this doesn't sound arrogant, but I don't think that I would have done anything differently so far. I feel like I've made good choices. I don't look back and think, oh, I could have done this better or that better. I should have pushed myself harder here or there, or explored that avenue because I've been trying it all, you know, almost to a fault. And, um, but I, I do think it's a really tough field. I remember about a year ago, I was shooting in Yellowstone next to a group of people, a bunch of other people who were all focused on the same bobcat across the the Madison River. And I became aware that the the fellow near me looked just like Michael Nichols, famous photographer. And I couldn't help myself. I, you know, just idolize him. And I went up to him and at a slow moment and introduced myself and we ended up talking quite a bit the rest of the day and you know he said I think he said to me so are you trying to make a living as a wildlife photographer (laughs) and I said yeah sort of innocently like sure and and he just said nobody nobody makes a living as a wildlife photographer I mean he said it and he said it with such certainty that I just sort of thought inside uh oh (laughs) he's saying that you know um that was definitely sobering and so you know I I know that it's true it's it's incredibly difficult but as as I said I think you really have to find ways to diversify and if that means you have to take some wedding wedding gigs shooting weddings or portraits or stuff around your home um 
hometown sort of commercial photography. A lot of nature photographers do that. Um, but I also, I also believe in being really sort of uh, creative and um, proactive and thinking about partnering with writers and submitting pitches to magazines or um, certainly I think it's very important to have a website and uh, Photo Shelter of course makes wonderful ones. <laughs> um, it's really important to have a great website. It's important to sell prints. You've got to put effort into that. You've got to have shows. You've got to get your name out there. And um, and then, you know, a lot of wildlife photographers, their main bread and butter is workshops. Yeah. And I'm really coming to realize that. And uh, I have a little girl at home. You know, for me, it's a little challenging as a wildlife photographer. I look around at, at other people or other women who are sort of leading wildlife photographers. And I don't really see any others with, with, with kids at home like I have. And so it's been... Um, I've sort of had to make my own path in that way. Uh, and, uh, but it's a journey and I'm learning as I go. And as I said, I'm really diversifying and I, I write and I speak and I teach and I sell prints and shows and it's definitely a lot to juggle and you've got to be pretty organized. And, um, sometimes I definitely feel a bit overwhelmed and you know there's like pictures I took a year ago when I was on assignment for Smithsonian Uganda and I haven't even like barely looked at any of the pictures and haven't keyworded my pictures in Lightroom for over a year and so there's things that get lost yeah. and I'm sort of a control freak uh, and so it's a little it's a little hard to to have to let things slide um, a lot of niches within photography as a historical matter have been dominated by old white men, mm -hmm. um, and we, we certainly see a, a generation of white f male photographers out there shooting nature. I wonder how it's been as a, a younger woman entering the field. Have you encountered sexism? Have you encountered ageism, reverse ageism? Or have, have people generally been receptive because you know what you're doing? I think, I think the last thing there, I think, I think I haven't really experienced overt sexism um, I do think there's a great preponderance of, of men, wild, male wildlife photographers, and I do see that slowly but surely changing, and I'm excited about that. I think uh, women bring a certain sensibility to photographs, um, sometimes into observations of wildlife that I think, I'm not going to say they're necessarily better than men in that way, but they're different, and they can be really thoughtful and um so yeah there's there's not a lot of there's not a lot of leading female um wildlife photographers but I do see it I do see it changing and uh I think it is it is a lot because of the mother role I think um you know women they they want to be at home mostly to raise their kids and it's it's hard to travel uh, a lot when you have a kid um, but but I do see times changing and I, I, I mentor um, two or three young wildlife photographers in their teens girls and I think that's really important to do uh, to mentor sort of younger generation um, but I, I, I see that the times are changing and more and more women are getting into it so I'm excited about that 
Um, marketing is obviously a huge component of running any business and, and certainly photography business. Um, I'm wondering what the challenges of social media marketing are. I mean, it can be such a rabbit hole and it can be such a time suck and trying to respond to people uh, through social media. What, what social media channels have been successful for you and what challenges have you encountered? You know, Facebook, there's no way I would have gotten this far in my career in such a short amount of time if I didn't have Facebook. It's been, it's been unbelievable for me. Um, it's gotten me workshop gigs. It's gotten me, it's, I've sold a lot of prints through Facebook. I've gotten speaking engagements. I've gotten magazine assignments. I've gained so many photography friends, uh, fr friends that are photography editors. Um, so it's, it's been this like free advertising, just remarkable. And, but more than anything, what excites me is that it allows me to reach a great number of people with with what I see as, as my message um, that has to do with love and respect for wildlife and for conservation. And I try to really sort of put it in a, um, you know, I try to make it not too daunting or too depressing. You know, I, I want to share uplifting stories, but I also want to share stories of, of reality. So it's a sort of a balance. I do like to connect with my followers. I have over 10,100 and something followers on Facebook. Uh, and I became a suggested Instagrammer. I don't even know how. <laughs> About a year ago, I got an email from Instagram saying, congratulations, you're a suggested Instagrammer. And so I instantly was getting, you know, hundreds, hundreds of um, followers on Instagram every hour and for a second I thought I was the victim of like some kind of spam before I'd seen the, me the message I was like did I buy like followers in my sleep you know I just I didn't understand and then I, I saw that email and now I'm up to like 38.4 but you know after the two weeks that I was the suggested Instagram where I sort of leveled out at like 43k and then as time went on, there, there came to be this attrition. Right. Because I think a lot of the people who had begun to follow me were just new to Instagram. They weren't necessarily wildlife photography lovers. They just joined, and Instagram was like, you might want to follow this person. But so, you know, it was a little bit disconcerting to be, like, losing followers as, as time went on. But then I sort of stabilized, and now I'm starting to build again. And, um, and that's good because I really I want to be able to engage people I do find that I go to Instagram to post more pictures now because it's sort of more simple and elegant and I don't really have to interact with people I, I wish I could interact with people all day long on Facebook but I just don't have time anymore um, and I feel guilty about that Instagram is a little easier to get away with that I could post a picture right. and um, and just not have to deal with anything after that um, and I just like the sort of the simplicity and elegance of pictures on Instagram um, but Facebook will always be a, a fantastic tool for me and um, a way for me to really get the message out and connect with people and 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 really it's it's been a way to create sort of a shared community people who are like-minded and care about the same things and um, it's a way to unite people it's a way to mobilize people to action 
Um, it's been a great way for me to do that. Uh, so, yeah, social media has, has been a superb tool for me to really um, raise my visibility and, and reach people. There's been a lot of talk about how video will, will become to dominating, dominate our, our Facebook feeds and, and, and whatnot. Have you thought about how video might be an adjunct part of your marketing, even interviews about you talking about conservation or, or whatnot, or is that just not on the radar right now? You know, I'm so busy, it's just not on the radar right now. I could see how it could come into play and be um, a, a really, uh, it could be a really effective medium. Um, but at a point in my life where I'm trying to sort of pull away a little bit from from the public, that seems like a little bit more, not invasive, but it's, it's an intimate thing. And... Um, Right now, I just, I'm not really ready to take it on, but I could see, you know, certainly someday, definitely wanting to make use of it, just not right now. Um, Historically, photographers have really seen book projects as kind of a permanent way to mark their, their, their time in the continuum of photographers. And obviously, a lot of things have changed with digital and uh, book consumption in general, Mm -hmm. and um, the way that we look at images on, on, on the internet, et cetera. Do, do you think about publishing books? Would it be a vanity project, or do you think it could actually help either you financially or one of the causes? You know, I don't think book projects are going to really help anybody financially these days, but I, I do think that it could help causes. It could help raise awareness. It could help educate. Um, and I'm a real book lover, and it People have been telling me for a couple of years now, asking me, when are you going to do a book? And, and really wanting a book from me. And just a month ago, I was contacted by a prominent literary agent in Manhattan who had been following me on Facebook for a while. And he said, you are my favorite nature photographer of all time, and I really want to do a book with you. And he sort of gave me all his credentials, and I was pretty blown away by the the books that he's had a hand in, the books that I know. Um, and so when I get home from this workshop, that's sort of my first order of business is we're putting together a pitch. Uh, and I, I can't say what topic it's on necessarily yet, but um, he'll be shopping it around to some some pretty big publishers. So we'll see. I'm, I'm hopeful. I would love to do a book, so we'll see. Are there any big milestones and goals that you have in mind that you'd like to accomplish in the next 12 months? I know a lot of people, obviously, in the nature world would love to shoot for National Geographic, um, but that's not the end-all and be-all, and certainly the, the popularity of that magazine has ebbed and flowed, uh, and particularly with the, the it being bought by Fox, things, things have changed. Are there things like that uh, in the next 12 months for you that you'd like to accomplish? Um... Yeah, I don't really have any aspirations with Nat Geo. I mean, sure, it'd be lovely to be published in there someday, but it's become such a different beast, and I don't, I don't know that I understand that beast. Um, I, I may be applying to International League of Conservation Photographers um, in the next year, and to me that would be uh, a real accomplishment to um, sort of be validated by that organization to join that elite league of, of photographers that I, I really, really admire and, and to 
uh, become part of a community uh, that, that sort of fosters growth in one another and supports one another. And um, so that's, that's really exciting to me. I feel in terms of being published, you know, I've got an upcoming Smithsonian magazine piece on giraffes and I'm in outdoor photographer a lot. I'm currently got a double page spread in Audubon magazine. I'm in bird watching magazine quite a bit. So I feel uh, in terms of publications, um, I'm pretty happy with, with where I'm at. You know, I really feel pretty well established. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking about the book. I'm thinking about uh, conservation photography and the league. I'm, and and I'm just always thinking about, you know, different and creative ways to uh, get my message out. Melissa Groot, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been my total pleasure. Thank you, Alan. For more great content, check out blog.photoshelter.com.